Welcome to the Garden Talk Podcast, where we interview growers from all over the world, both beginners and experts, seeking to learn more about what they know about gardening and how they do things in their garden. What's up, everybody? For you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk Podcast. This episode number 114. In this episode, I interview Sly, aka Loco. He has been gardening for six years, and he grows indoors. He has experience growing with synthetic as well as organic inputs, and one main focus for him is growing large plants, and that's what we're going to get into today. He breaks it down for us, his style of growing large plants. We go over lighting, environment conditions, plant nutrition, plant training, and so much more. If you want to see highlights of these Garden Talk podcast episodes, search Garden Talk Clips on YouTube. There you'll find short, bite-sized clips of these episodes. I also have a gardening channel, which has over 130 videos of plants that I've grown. I'll link that channel down in the YouTube description section below. One of my goals for this podcast is to bring free information about gardening to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. Thanks to AC Infinity for sponsoring this episode. Their clip-on oscillating fan is awesome. I've been using their 6-inch version, but they also have a 9-inch version. It's easy to clip on the side of my grow tent and has 10 different speeds, which makes it easy to control air circulation. They do have a non-oscillating version of this clip-on fan as well. It also connects to their Smart Controller 69, so you can control the fans and other AC Infinity equipment through their app from your smartphone. The discount code MrGrowIt15 works on both Amazon and their website, acinfinity.com. Stash Blend. I've been using Stash Blend for over a year now, and it's awesome. One of the things that I really like is that it saves me money. It's a whole bunch of different inputs in one. So I no longer have to go out there and buy a silica bottle, then a separate seaweed bottle, beneficial bacteria, then a separate one for mycorrhizal fungi. All of that plus more is in this one blend. Go to stashblend.com to learn more about it. And I also have a link down in the YouTube description section below. And we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with Sly, aka Loco. How you doing today? Pretty good, brother. How you doing? Good, good. Burr, 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 burr. That's what you usually do. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> Everybody loves my horn. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you always do that on your Instagram show. That's how I know you through Instagram. Uh, you actually had me in your show before, Can of Convos. Uh, I'm actually going to be on there again soon uh, in March sometime, if I remember correctly, or maybe it's February. I can't remember. <laughs> it's on my calendar, but you have some great content on Instagram. That's why I mostly know you from. I know before we started recording, you said you have a YouTube as well. But um, yeah, how about you just start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into gardening? All right. Well, my name's uh, Sly, aka Loco, as everybody should know. Um, I have been growing about six years now. I started with a friend. A friend actually came by and he gave me a plant and I decided that I wanted to grow that plant out. And so I went outside and I grew it out. It was pretty fun. And yeah, I, the way I got started was kind of a little crazy too. Cause for those who don't know, I had gotten sick. I was a big drug user and alcoholic a long time ago in my former life. And then I had cotton swine flu, um, H1N1 virus, which was kind of weird because nobody around me caught it. Only I did. Um, and I was in a coma for three weeks. Uh, they flew me to Portland. Uh, I'm, I'm originally from Washington, but they flew me over to Portland because I was the only place with the ECMO machine. Um, and yeah, I was in a coma for three weeks. And I saw a lot of visions and a lot of stuff that when I came out of the coma, I left my old life behind. I stopped doing drugs and I just concentrated on, on you know, the plant that we all love. 
And yeah. And ever since then, I've been just flourishing. Just loving life, going better. It's just been amazing. Man, that's wild. I'm glad to hear that you recover from that. That's pretty pretty crazy. You don't hear about people, anybody. Like I've never heard of anybody getting that and then being in a coma for three weeks, being able to come back and the adversity you had and overcoming the other things. I mean, that's that's incredible, man. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it took a while, man. I had to learn how to walk again and everything. Jeez. But I did it. I, I came out the other side. I was 400 pounds at that time, too. So I uh, lost 170 pounds in like under a year. Um, and yeah, everything ever since I stopped drinking and just moved to the plant that we all love, it has been just amazing. Everything has switched. My life has changed. I've been more positive. And yeah, it's just been really good, man. Loving life. That's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that. So you're an indoor grower. Correct me if I'm wrong. What size grow space are you in and kind of how many plants are you growing? Um, right now, I just took a little size or I checked the size of my room and it's about 10 by 20. Um, and I have two tents in there. I have two four by four tents. Also a little one uh, two by two tent too. That is for my clones. Um, and yeah, that's what I have in there. Pretty nice I, I think it's pretty good also i have a sink in there which not a lot of people have not a lot of people have sinks in their rooms and so i think i feel like it makes it a lot easier to flush to water you know go about the daily stuff that you need to do with your plants wow that makes make it so much easier dude I, when i'm in between grows like if i have to watch like wash out grow pots for example like doing it in a bathtub you know, bending over right. and like, man, I, my back hurts after a while after sitting there scrubbing. And I've been doing things outside and still you're kind of bending over and stuff. Having a sink would be really nice. I wish I had, I wish I had a sink. <laughs> yeah, that's what a lot of people tell me. They always tell me that I'm very lucky to have a sink there. And that um, I think it is too, because when I have to take my plants into the tub, because um, back in the day I would flush in the tub for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, because my plants were too big. So they were too big to go in the sink. So I had to take them out to the tub and that was a hassle. And so I definitely felt for people who have to move their plants out into a uh, tub or something like that, into a area where they can get wet. Um, and you, that would be a lot harder. I really would not like that. And I feel also that if you have trellises in your tent, um, you wouldn't be able to take the plant out and, you know, do whatever you have to do. So that would have been another problem yeah for me i typically grow smaller plants a little bit easier to transport from the tent to a tub for example back when i flushed and i kind of switched over to organics so i'm not really doing flushes as much anymore uh if ever usually it was just with yeah. uh, synthetic nutrients but uh yeah i mostly just grow small plants sometimes medium plants you on the other hand grow large plants and that's what we're going to talk about today really is growing large plants indoors i think it's a topic that we haven't really covered in depth before and i'm glad when we first talked about well hey what should we talk about this time around you had said hey i grow large plants indoors perfect perfect topic let's base it around that let's get deep into your style of growing larger plants indoors so the first question I got for you is, are you going after like certain genetics that are like deemed high yielders, for example, or have like a certain morphology, like anything in the listing description that's going to say, hey, this is going to be good for growing the large plants indoors? No, actually, I don't. I um, just go with whatever genetics I can get, whatever genetics come around. 
I'm very curious, a curious person. So I want to see if I can take a plant that is supposed to be small and see if I can make it a bigger plant, which in turn would mean that I have to do a longer veg time, right? And that's one thing that I usually do is I will start off in like a one gallon, right? Pot and then transfer. I feel like transferring is one of the reasons why my plants get to so big is because I transfer a lot. I'll transfer from a one gallon to a three gallon from a three gallon to its final thing is a five gallon. Usually if I did go a little bit above a five gallon, if I went to a seven gallon, the plant would be massive. Just massive. And every time that I've done a seven gallon plant, it's just been incredibly big all the way up to the top. I can't move, you know, the light up any higher. Um, I just have to start training start bringing the branches down in turn. I'm probably going a little bit too fast there for that, but, um, yeah, they're just big plants, man. Very big plants. I think it's the the longer veg is what I do because I usually veg for about at least minimum seven weeks. Minimum. Got it. Now, for the genetics, can you name off maybe a couple different plants that you've grown? It could be recently. It could be at any point where you feel like, hey, these ones were easy to kind of, you know, they grew pretty fast. They grew large quickly without the longer veg time, maybe, or is there anything that kind of comes to mind that you're like, oh, this is good for a large plant? Yeah, the, this is one that a lot of people know is GG4. Um, that one is usually a big plant, very big one. Um, I also had a blue fire that was a massive plant. I didn't have to do a long, I didn't have to do a long veg or anything with that one. It just grew big. It was a big one. Um, also, this last one that I was doing was the Triple Crown. The Triple Crown was a big one, too. I didn't actually have to do too much to it. I had a long stretch on it, too. When I switched to flower, it was very big. So I don't really go looking for any of the big genetics. I just come across what I come across, and then I'll just grow it out. That makes sense. Now, what are you using for lighting? It's arguably one of the most contributing factors to growth, right, is the, the light energy. So... You're indoors. What do you use them for grow lights? So for the grow lights, I have a high photon flux HPF 4000. That's what I'm growing right now. I am sponsored by them also, by the way. Uh, very good company. I suggest people to go check them out. Uh, it's a bar style LED. Um, has the red spectrum. It's a full spectrum light. And I also have the Spider Farmer SE 5000. These are my other 4x4. And I only keep those at about 60%. Okay. Now, are you chasing after a certain PAR? For those that don't know, I have quite a few beginners that kind of tune into this PAR, photosynthetic active radiation. There's a couple different measurements, PPF, which is kind of the total light output of a fixture, PPFD, which is kind of a spot check in basic terms. Are you aiming for a certain PPFD? Um, I'm not, actually. I don't have a PAR tester or PPF. Uh, I think it might be on the ac controller no no actually i don't though i just roll with it and i read the plants the plants will kind of tell me if the light is too intense you know how they start to get the pastels or something like that um that's when i know to turn down the light so i basically read the plant the read the plants and then what about co2 it's another thing that really can contribute to a lot faster plant growth right do you run co2 at all um, I don't. Well, I do now. I haven't in the past. In the past, I just let uh, just let the plants grow with the lights, the water. But I started adding CO2 recently. 
um, I have this product that's called, it's the VIP Plantation CO2 maker. Um, he's a guy on Instagram. He makes a little uh, concoction, which I think it's just yeast and sugar or something like that and water. Put six cups of water, shake it up, and just hang it up in your tent. And it gives you your plants a CO2. How long does it last? And do you need to like refresh it every couple weeks or something or what? Yeah, it only lasts two weeks. And then he gives you a package. You get one container that's already made. So you just, or that's ready to go. You just add the water and mix it up and then it'll work. But then it also comes with another package for the next two weeks. So one of those packages lasts two weeks. And then you got to refresh it, take it out, wash it, add the other packet, add some more water, and then boom. And I have about... I have about eight weeks of packaging there to use. But I think that would be perfect for a veg. So what's the total cost on that? Do you happen to know how much the packages cost and kind of how much you're spending per run? Yeah, the whole setup, that it was about $30 to have them ship it out and everything. So it was about the same price that I see at the grocery stores. So, But his is a little bit bigger and it lasts a little bit longer. You get an extra couple weeks on there for that $30. So I felt that that was the play. That was the way that I wanted to go, and I've developed a, re- a reputation or a rapport with him. So you know, he hooked it up a little bit more too. So nice. Now, do you have a CO two monitor where you're kind of monitoring things and dialing in with that type of setup with CO two? You don't have as much control as, as you would with like a tank, for example. Uh, do you have a monitor? Are you able to see like what it goes up to and and what the low point is and stuff? I don't have a monitor yet. I'm actually very new to the CO two, so. I don't have a monitor. I wouldn't even know what I'm looking for. I, uh, I'm very new, very green to this one. I got to start doing a little bit more research so I can figure out how, you know, because I think it's in PPMs, right? Yep, PPMs. Some people go up to like, you know, 14, 1500 PPM at the max. I uh, naturally, for me, well, naturally outside, it's what, like 400, 450 PPM naturally outdoors. If you're indoors, us exhaling, and I have a three-month-old daughter. She's exhaling CO2. I have two cats. They're exhaling CO2. Every time I go in my tent, it's at like 700. So it's always elevated a little bit. Now, for me, I have an exhaust and I'm pulling air out and the fresh air that's coming in is from my house. So for me, I just, I don't even run CO2 anymore. I used to run the um, mushroom bags for a little while. I did see some increase in it, but there's some kind of inconsistencies. I ran the TMB Naturals before Again, same thing where it's just kind of up and down, up and down, no real stable result. And then just finding out, you know, for me, I'm just a small home grower. I grow these small plants just myself. Six to 12 plants max is usually what I'm running in that range. I personally don't really need to run CO2, but I can see for the folks, you know, somebody like yourself who's looking to grow large plants, CO2 can certainly be beneficial. So yeah, I was just curious on that one. Yeah, and that's one thing that I've been trying to keep an eye on is trying to see if it really does work, if it's giving my plants the more faster grow, the bigger grow, um, all that. And I feel that it is. I feel that they are growing uh, faster, bigger, which is always good. You know, I really like a, a nice big plant to go on the veg. Where the way I feel is that veg is the pregame to the game. You know, the game is when you go into flower. And that that's the Super Bowl. So you want to be very ready before you put that plant into the flower stage. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, kind of rule of thumb is a plant for, to be the, half the size you want generally because you're going to expect some stretch to happen even after flipping the light cycle. And for the plant to be healthy, right? So like a lot of people won't flip the flower unless their plant is fully healthy. If they're seeing any sorts of deficiencies or anything, they won't flip. 
Now, of course, with autoflowers, you're kind of SOL there <laughs> because yeah, it's yeah. on a timeline, right? <laughs> so if you come across deficiency, well, you just got to roll with the punches in a sense and just take it. But with photo periods, you, you kind of have that control, right? You can keep it in veg for a little bit longer, get it healthy again, and then be able to flip to flower from there. So that, That's one reason that I don't really mess with autoflowers is because I like the 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 control to being able to change it into flower when i'm ready when i feel that the plant is ready which is kind of you know kind of a little messed up to say it like that but it's when i feel that the plant is going to be able to give me the best buds is when i want to send it into flower you know i don't want you turning on you know small and then giving me little buds i need big buds and so um yeah that's what I, that's probably why i don't mess with auto flowers I hear you. I've grown about probably two dozen, close to three dozen autoflowers now, and I got some good results. I do like them once in a while, but for the most part, I do prefer having that control over the photo period, you know, being able to keep it in veg for as long as I want so I can shape the plant the way I want it, then be able to flip over the flower when I'm ready. So that's just personal preference there. Now, what about like temperature and humidity? What are you usually aiming for for that? So for temps, I have been um, messing with temps a little bit because I've been sitting here. I'm a very experimental person. So I like to go around and check and see, okay, how do they work at a 72, 73 degrees, 75? And now right now I'm at 78 degrees with about 50 to 60% humidity, which some people would say is kind of low. Because in my room, in my little room, you would think that it'd be easier to control the temperatures, but it's not. Okay. Summertime, it gets really hot. Wintertime, it gets really cold. So I have to either turn up the heater more or the air conditioner, which I put a portable air conditioner in there during the summertime. Because over here on the west side or on the east side of Washington is not like the west side. Okay. The west side, you got a more calmer temperature, 70, 80 degrees is the hottest. Maybe 90 degrees is the hottest it'll get over there. It gets a hundred and something over here on the regular every summer so over here and there's zero humidity i think you deal with this too because being where you're at um you have to add humidity in and so we'll get a humidifier but then on the same time since i'm in a small little room if i have so many plants going it puts the humidity through the roof so then i'd have to turn on the dehumidifier right and then turn on the dehumidifier, then I have to, it's going to add a little bit of heat, so then I got to turn up the air conditioner. <laughs> so I'm constantly fighting with temperatures in my little grow room. Balancing that environment, easier said than done. I mean, that's, a, that's something when I first oh, started yes. growing 14 years ago, indoors, and I was like, yeah, it should be easy to control. You know, I got my HPS, put the HPS in there, put my plants in there right away, and then all of a sudden, the skyrocketed with temp, with heat. I was like, what the heck? So then yeah. I have to get an exhaust, have the exhaust and the exhaust running all times. And all of a sudden the heat is still high. It's like, what the heck? And then you have to add cooling and it's, it's a balancing act for sure. Is your heater and humidifier and all that stuff, that's in your lung room, I assume, which is the room that your grow tents are in. Are you controlling that air? And so that way any air coming into the tents are of the proper RH and temperature? Yes, that's, what, that's the way I try to keep it to where the outside temps are better or, you know, a little bit more... Now then the inside tent, but I do have the the AC Infinity controller on the tent, on one of my AC Infinity tents, and that controller does tell me, you know, the temps, the humidity, and everything in one of them. But the other tent, I don't have that, so I'm just freestyling. And I kind of 
assume that it's in the right same thing as the other 10 because i mean it's the same environment but you know you really want to be on top of that and i've just been slacking on that veg tent a little bit so you mentioned 78 degrees fahrenheit and 50 to 60 percent rh is that for the vegetation stage or the flowering stage or both uh for about both okay got it so you're running that the whole way through yeah because i would like i would like my uh my my humidity go a little bit no actually because i like that point in flower because i'm very uh paranoid about getting mold and getting you know just mold i'm very paranoid about that that's why i try to keep the humidity very low in the room because i don't want to build up mold behind the walls which is possibility in growing which some people need to know out there is if you are growing into a if you're growing in an, uh, a complex or apartment complex or something that's what they are worried about they're worried about you getting the humidity so high and mold growing behind the wall and nobody wants that so make sure that your humidity is low in your room but in their tent in your tent you want high humidity so it's a little balance there that you got to figure out i've heard of like grow operations people have converted their entire house and the way they got busted is they see the condensation on the windows. So like neighbors and stuff would see the condensation build up and that's too high of humidity right in there. And so yeah, yeah good. that stuff can definitely cause mold to happen. Now me, I often get people commenting on my videos when they see my setup because I have it in, I have a nine by 12 bedroom and I have a couple tents in there right now. I have a four by four and a two by four. I've had other side tents in there in the past, but my exhaust is coming from the tent up into my attic. Now, I have okay. ventilation into the attic as well, right? So it goes completely out. But I've had so many people like, hey, you shouldn't do that because that'll mold up your, your attic. Valid point. Yeah. Very, very valid point. If you're just dumping high humidity in there, depending on you know what the temperature is and stuff like that, it could actually cause mold to happen on your roof there on the inside panels. I've seen pictures of that, and it looks like just a complete nightmare. I live in a very dry climate. I have to say that in every single episode, <laughs> every single one of my main channel videos, every single one of my podcast episodes, I live in a dry climate. So even if I dump stuff up up there, it's usually not high enough to cause mold. But those living yeah. in a high humidity area, they're dumping stuff into their attic. There's high likelihood of mold happening there. And from my understanding, that can be very, very costly. So forget I mentioned that one. Yeah, and it only takes one spore, guys. One spore of mold, and it will just blow up, and it'll just reproduce and reproduce. And sometimes, in the worst-case scenario, you don't know that it's happening. And uh, you don't know that it's happening until you start getting sick. So, everybody, please be on top of that. Make sure that you're not getting mold in places that you can't see. Absolutely. So we talked about your grow room. We talked about lighting. We talked about environment conditions. Let's see what else impacts the size of the plant. We we didn't talk about soil. Are you in soil, cocoa, hydro? If you're in soil, what's in your mix? I am using a uh, happy frog soil. So I just recently switched to organic um, amendments so that I could build my soil. So now I'm using the same soil instead because I used to just go uh, use soil, throw it in uh, in like my yard, and I'd have this big pile of used soil that I wasn't just reusing again you know and i just go get another bag well i recently since watching you guys uh decided that i can re or i learned that i can reuse the soil so i'm like oh okay well i've been wasting a lot of money so now i'm gonna go over there and get all that soil and so i went and ran and got a a 26 gallon bin 
that I put my soil in, and now I am mixing them with uh, Gaia Green Dry Amendments. So I build that with some worm casting and some mycorrhiza. I throw that into the soil, and I've just been letting that sit there and cook for it's been a couple couple months now, and everything's going great. I, I before that I was a synthetic nutrient person though, and I would just yeah, like I said, I would just throw out my soil. But now I'm reusing the soil, and I'm starting to go organics, and I'm really digging it. It's a lot easier too. You don't have to feed so much as a synthetic one. nutrients. Okay, so you got Gaia Green as kind of your base nutrition, then some worm castings and mycorrhizal fungi. Have you been reusing reusing your soil for several grows now, or or what? This has been it's been about I would say about six months. No, almost almost a year I've been doing that. Wow, that's pretty good. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> but yeah, I've just been uh, using reusing that soil and just mixing the amendments in and doing that for as of late and it's working with me and so how do you do the feeding sorrel because eventually when you do that initial amending the, the nutrients are going to deplete unless you're loading it up there so it's like a super soil you don't have to do any feedings but i imagine since you're growing larger plants you're vegging for a little, little bit longer there you're probably doing top dressings throughout how do you typically do your top dressings and also do you know what ratios you do of like diagreen and stuff like how much you tablespoon per gallon or yeah, I do a little bit more than a tablespoon. I do about three tablespoons per gallon is what I try to do. I am uh, I try to load it up as much as possible because I'm getting a little lazy and I don't want to be in there every day and mixing soils and stuff like that. So I'll put about three tablespoons per gallon, um, put it on the topsoil, mix it in, and then just water and be doing that every couple of weeks. And recently, also, when I start to see problems, if I start to see a little bit of deficiencies or something, I'll make a brew. And I started doing the brews. That was pretty cool. I did not know, like, going into that, that you wanted to see the bubbles when you make a brew. For those who don't know, if you're putting in uh, your uh, organic nutrients into your water or a cheesecloth or something like that that you put to keep it a little bit, keep the water a little bit cleaner, because that's something that I didn't know that would happen. Uh, the first time, I just threw everything in a bucket and I turned on the air stone and i said left it there and i was like okay but i didn't even cover it so now i cover them and i started getting that life the bubbles and everything that you see on the top um that you're looking for um and i really like those i really dig it how do you brew your tea what's in there is it just worm castings or is there some gaia green in there as well and how long do you usually like brew for yeah i put the gaia green uh 444 i think that's the all-purpose or is that I think it's all purpose. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, but yep. the all purpose and I put the flowering in it. And uh the worm casting I put in with a little bit of bone meal. Um and some kelp too that I do have from another company. I have some of that. A friend gave it to me and so I started adding that into the brew. Um I wanted to try molasses, but I'm not too sure about how much molasses, what kind of molasses, because I heard that you're not supposed to use sweetened molasses. I think. I'm not too sure about that one, but unsulfured is the one you want to target. There's no preservatives that, in there, so there you go. a lot of people do blackstrap molasses because a little bit easier to mix in. If you mix it into kind of warmer water, that'll actually mix into the water better than if it was it was cooler water. But yeah, unsulfured blackstrap is okay. Pretty much the most common. Okay, 
So I do that and I stick it into my bucket with some water and an air stone and I brew it for about three days. Um, some people say the longer the brew, the long, the better it is, but I haven't really experimented too much on how much is a lot, like too long of a brew. Uh, but I feel like three days is pretty good. Yeah, then I know long brews can things can go anaerobic, bad pathogens that happen, so you can definitely mess up a tea. I've done it before, or <laughs> I've fed my plants oh, a tea, yeah? and they were not happy at all. So okay, so how long was a how how long is too long? I usually just do twenty four hours. That's me. Some people do thirty six hours. Uh, I've heard of some people doing forty eight hours at the max. I haven't heard anybody going three days. So that was a new one, new one for me. Oh, so I could probably. I'm no master when it comes to uh, when it comes to brewing compost teas, but I've done done them several dozen times in the past. Don't do them as much anymore. I usually just do water and yeah. compost, for example. But yeah, I usually do it when I need to. Either I'm I'm going organic and need to resolve a deficiency, or if I'm just looking to boost up the microbial population yeah. in order to have some more uh, decomposition in the in the medium, faster decomposition, you know? Yeah, I'm going to cut back on that. I'll try two days, and we'll see how that goes. One day I, one day works. Sometimes I just forget about it. Sometimes I'll set it, and I'll walk out, and I'll just be, come back a couple of days later and be like, oh, no, the plants. Oh, no, the brew. <laughs> and then I got to do what I got to do and get it in there. <laughs> <laughs> that happens, man. We, uh, lives are busy, busy, busy. Do you dilute the tea now? When you create the tea, you brew it. Now, are you diluting it in water at any ratio or anything, or are you just feeding that solution directly to the plants? Yeah, I just feed that solution directly to the plants. I, uh, Yeah, no, I haven't diluted it or anything. I haven't thought of that. The plants, so far, they're loving it. So far, I haven't had any problems besides pests. This is the only thing that I've been dealing with in my grow room. Okay, got it. So the teas are working out for you. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Now I want to flip it back to the nutrients. Now you said you've been doing organics for about six months now. Before that, you were doing synthetics. So I kind of want to dive a little bit into synthetics. We have a lot of people that listen to here that use synthetics, particularly when growing large plants. They want that precision feeding. They want everything to be soluble in order to try to help get faster growth. What were you using for synthetic nutrients and how were you going about your feedings? Uh, for the synthetic nutrients, when I first started, I was using uh, General Hydroponics. Um, and then I had made the switch over to Dutch Pro Nutrients from you guys were bad. That was back in the day when we were you guys were collaborating with them. And I really liked those nutrients because the General Hydroponic was already pH'd. So as soon as you added it to the water, your water would be at 6.2. And so... 6.2, 6.5, whatever, whatever UPH at. Um, and it was easier. So you just mix it, feed it to your plants, boom, there you go. And so I did that for a while, but then I started getting deficiencies. And deficiencies started plaguing me all the time. So then I made the switch to organics, which I feel is working better for me at the time right now. But I will every once in a while still throw some synthetic in if I need to, if I'm... Just like, hey, this plant needs nitrogen right now, right now. Here, boom, just throw some nitrogen on Some uh, veg, general hydroponic feed. So the synganic approach. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's what it is. <laughs> some people swear by that. They And I've done it several times in the past. You know, start out with the organic medium to begin. There's organic nutrients in there. Then adding in some synthetics along with top dressing of organic amendments and yeah, getting through grows like that. I've had some of my best grows where I combine the two. So 
Yeah, and I really don't feel that you have to go one or the other. I feel like the grow, it's your grow. If you feel like you want to add some synthetics in there, go for it, man. It's, you know, it's your thing. You can do whatever you want. There is no set science to this. Nobody's ever said, hey, man, you've got to do it this way or else, you know. Well, there are people who will say that, but, you know, they there's some people who will try to make you do what they want, you know, or grow how they want. But I feel that you need to experience this. You need to uh, experiment. You need to see, find out what works for you the best. I completely agree. And, yeah, there's nothing worse than a backseat grower, somebody that comes in and tells you how to grow your oh, plants. Oh, man. <laughs> right. <Unsolicited> feedback like, <laughs> like oh, no. do this 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 and now change this and then do this and it's like dude what okay that's the way you do it but like i want to do yeah. it a little bit different you know i have my own style let me let me do what i'm doing you know i'll ask you for help if i want it you know <laughs> it's funny yeah there was one guy uh yeah exactly how you said that i'll ask you for help if i want it right there was one guy out there on instagram who was uh he sent me a message and was like, dude, you need to do this, this, this. And I was like, all right, bro. I was like, yeah, I already did that. And he just took total offense to it. And it was like, I've been growing 40 years. You need to, you need to like, or he sent me a video too. And was like shaking his pants. What do you think? I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, bro, that's not what I said. <laughs> I just said that I did that already. Damn. <laughs> but I could totally understand too. So some people... I could see how some people are so passionate about the way that they grow, you know, and they, they, some people deep down, they're just trying to help and they don't like being told that they're not doing right, which I think they're getting defensive. You know, they have that inner insecurities or whatever it is. And they just feel like to lash out is easier thing than to sit there and talk to somebody and actually be like, okay, man, my bad. I was tripping because I have insecurities, you know? That's just so hard for some people to say. Yeah, I can totally, I totally get what you mean by that, for sure. I want to bring it back to container size and type for a minute. Now, you mentioned you start on one gallons, then you go to three, then you go to five. You've tried to go to seven gallons before, but you felt like that was a little bit too much. Is that when you were growing with organics or synthetics? And then also, uh, are those plastic pots or fabric pots or what? So that was when I was doing all of it. Actually, I still do synthetic and organic in that same way. Um, and I use fabric pots. I tried some plastic one-gallon pots, but I just feel like they're not getting the air into the root system the way that fabric pots do. And I really, like, I understand that some people like the way that the root system bounces around and starts to curl around with the plastic, but I don't. I like... The root system to be able to because i feel that that leaves room for root rot if the roots are bouncing around they're getting tangled up too much right so that's why i only use fabric pots ever since i've been started growing i just did fabric pots it's easier i like the way that they um like they could soak up water from the outside like say say you got fungus gnats and you want to start watering on the bottom you know it's easier for the fabric pots for them to soak up the water uh and also, I like that the root system, supposedly when the root system goes out and it hits the fabric, it doesn't bounce around. It just stops right there, and it starts to get bigger and bigger. And so, uh, the root system is very healthy in there. I think it's healthier with fabric pots. Yeah, they're different. And I, I did the one gallon to three gallon to five gallon to seven gallon. One of my other friends, he does like, I don't even know, I think like a 20 gallon or something pot. 
and his plants and i was like bro you are a savage <laughs> if i did that my plants would be the size of the house <laughs> different strokes for different folks yeah there are so many different ways to go about it some people use plastic some people use fabric some people hate plastic love fabric and vice versa so me i do like the plastic pots to begin but i did switch over to the grassroots fabric pots the living soil fabric pots with the liner because uh, one thing I learned from Tyler over at Grassroots, big shout out to him, is he had mentioned that you know it's really not natural for when you're growing with uh, living soil or organics, having the medium dry out from all sides. So they created one with a liner in the middle of the pot, basically like from, I think it's like two inches up and upward. So there's a little bit of aeration on the bottom, more than you'd get in a plastic pot. But it, it prevents all the sides from drying out. It dries out from the top down naturally like it kind of does in nature so um, those are the ones i've been i've been really digging but different strokes for different folks some people certainly get away with just doing uh, organics with fabric pots so yeah and i uh, just recently started washing my pots um i went and bought new pots every time so when i first started growing i was wasting a lot of money i feel like i didn't reuse my soil i didn't rewash my pots i you know I just went and got new stuff. And after a while, it started adding up. That money adds up. So I uh, recently just started washing the pots. And I feel like it works. As long as you run them through two times, boom, everything comes out nice and clean. And you can just reuse. Absolutely. Yeah. Reuse where you can and save money. Yeah. So when you transplant, are you doing anything special? Like some people, what they'll do is they'll sprinkle mycorrhizal fungi on the roots during transplant. I like to do that. I also like to put a scoop of worm castings in the bottom of the hole. I personally feel like that helps with growth, prevents the transplant shock, quote, transplant shock that uh, yeah. that you can get sometimes. If you disturb the roots too much, it kind of just looks like the plant's slowing down a little bit before it bounces back. Typically, when I'm sprinkling mycorrhizal fungi and then adding in the scoop of worm castings to the bottom of the hole, growth just seems to continue on without any sort of stunt. Do you do anything during transplant like that or, or what? I do, actually. I do exactly what you do. I uh, transplant and I put the mycorrhiza on the root system and put a little bit of worm casting on the bottom, too. Because I feel like it's just that makes sense um, to put that right there while you're transplanting. I mean, you have it all open. You might as well get it to the to the root system while it's open. I also, when I do, I do break the bottom of the uh, the root system up. I break that open just a little bit. You want to be careful, though. When you're transplanting, you want to make sure that your soil is very dry. Because if it's not as dry, for me at least, um, when I go to transfer, the soil will fall apart off of the roots if it's wet. So the drier it is, the more you pull it out and it'll stay in one spot. And then you can drop it into the thing. If it's a little bit wet, it'll fall apart. And that's when I have trouble with my transplants. And then you'll get the shock and everything like that to happen. But when it's really dry, I don't see any shock. And yeah, I just put a little bit of mycorrhiza and some worm casting on there. Cool. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this whole talk, right? I think the rest of the things that we're going to be talking about really contributes to larger plants, right? So first off, how long do you veg the plants for? So my veg, I veg for a long time. I will read the plant, as I like to say, which is making sure that's big enough. I want to say it's about seven weeks is how long I veg for maybe even eight some, sometimes. Uh, but in that veg time, I'm topping and I'm uh, training like crazy. So like I said earlier, I sit there and it's like the pregame. 
you know, getting the plant ready for the Super Bowl. So the long veg is something that I really stand by because I want my plants to be very healthy, very ready to go into this flower stage and produce the biggest um, flowers that I can. Okay, so a seven-week veg on that, then you flip out a flower. I don't know if I asked you or if you mentioned how many plant is that for like one plant in a four by four or how many plants are you putting in that four by four that you mentioned you have? Oh, um, what I would do is I, I usually stick it to about three plants in a four by four that I uh, because I find that four is just too big. The way that I grow, my plants grow so big that they bush out really big, and so when I'm starting to because I uh, do the technique from Pitches 420 where I break the membrane on the stem, right? And I'll break the membrane and I'll set the plant down. I'll super crop it, right? Is that what it's called? Yes. So I'll just be super cropping on top of topping. So I really train this plant to go out because it gets very bushy. So by the time that I put it into the 4x4 tent, I can only fit three plants in before they start to... Because it looks like, oh, you know, you got a lot of room. But once they start to flower, wow, these plants start to fill the whole tent out. And then there's no room for you to get in. And so I always have to have room for myself to be able to get in, to get into the bottom of it, to clean up the bottom uh, stems or, you know, do all the maintenance. Got it. So three plants and you're trying to fill it wall to wall. So how tall are they typically before flipping? So you've got, you know, from the ground up about a foot. For the grow pot, how tall is it before you kind of flipping? Because you got space constraints too, right? So yeah. you're doing your training, you're doing the, the topping, low stress training, super cropping, and then it, you're you're shaping it the way you want it to try to max out that grow space. And then how tall is it really before flipping to flower? I'd say about two feet over the one foot pot, so it'd be about three feet altogether. Okay. Um, and then you got to count. You got to take in count that there is that stretch going to happen to a flower. So. You know, you got to be ready for that one. That's one thing that I have to deal with a lot is growing big plants. You have to be ready for the stretch to happen and you have to be ready for how much room you're going to have from the light and the plant because you don't want the plant touching the light. But when growing big plants, it's going to happen sometimes. It definitely happens. Man, I've had so many plants outgrow and come up into light. You know, I went on vacation one time, came back and the plants were grown into the light. Yeah. Luckily, I was able to just prune off some branches and I was good to go, but it certainly can be a problem where it kind of overgrows the grow space. So knowing when to flip, making sure you're not over-vegging your plants to where all of a sudden you're running into height constraints and you have to prune when you don't want to prune and so on and so forth. So knowing exactly when to flip and how, how long to veg your plants are super, super key. So one thing that I've ran into also is because I have a perpetual grow, so... I have a bunch of, you know, stages. I got my veg tent, I got my flower tent, I got my clone tent, I got my drying tent, right? Well, if these tents aren't perfectly sync, then sometimes you're going to have to veg for longer in the veg tent than you would want to. And so that that happens a lot more often than I would like it to happen. Um, and so in turn, what happens is when I move it to the flower tent, we have the plant touching the lights and you're going to have to prune it. And one thing that I've noticed that freaked me out the first time that I saw it was the leaf touching the, I think it's the red diode um, that gives you the red spectrum. It'll burn. It'll burn the plant and it's burned. And so you want to be careful for that guys. Just be out there, keep an eye on it. Just make sure that if a leaf is hitting the light, it will burn it. 
uh, prune it down if you have to. Um, it, it, will, it will stunt the plant a little bit, but I feel like it'll be okay in the long run. How about pruning techniques like lollipopping or defoliation? Are you doing those things at all? And when? Yes. I, I love the lollipop and de- defol. Like, I'm in there defoling all like crazy because the rule that I feel like is you want all the energy to go up to these colas, right? So you don't want to waste too much energy down here with these popcorn buds that are just going to be, if you're hand trimming, they're just hard to trim. Nobody likes to waste time on the on the popcorn buds when you're hand trimming um so in return lollipop so i go in there and i defoliate and i lollipop like crazy so i will just leave i'll just be looking for colas my 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 goal is to get the big colas i'm I'm with these fat and just beautiful looking ones so um yeah i lollipop and i train like crazy and do you do that in veg before flipping? Well, in particular, maybe break it down one by one. For lollipopping, are you only doing it in veg before flipping with flour? Are you also lollipopping in flour at some point or throughout flour? I do it uh, in flour also. I do it in veg. I get the plant looking the way that I really like, which is lollipopped and topped and super cropped, right? So she's throughout those seven weeks, she's going to be looking very nice before i put her in the flower now when i put her in the flower there's going to be these these bud sites that are going to show up on the bottom that a lot of growers you know what i'm talking about you'll have that one little nug just sticking out on the bottom stand that's just like really developing and it looks nice but it's taking that energy away from the top so it's got to go and so yeah you just go down there and just be picking off whatever's uh on the bottom i try to make it about a foot from the pot nothing from under there just completely stripped and all the stems are up here in turn what happens in that time though is you will get floppage this is a coin a term that i, I want to coin but it's the floppage it's a real big problem and that is your you know your buds get too big and they just start flopping over and when they start flopping over that's when you need a trellis or what i use is the yo-yo hangers Use those. Those are really nice. They just hang up on the top of your tent and just come down and you just hook it onto your bud and it'll hold it up. And another product that I've used is the umbrella trellis. Now, have you heard of this one? I had the owner on here. Oh, nice. Episode before, huh? Good, good. Yeah, uh, the umbrella trellis, man. That's one product that I'm standing by. If you learn how to use it, I didn't know how to use it as well, so I asked uh, the owner, the maker, and he showed me what he does in his grow. And I was like, oh, now that's how it's supposed to look. It looked very beautiful. If you put two trellises on there, then you have the ability to take out the plant out of the uh, spot or wherever that you have. And you still have be able to hold the nugs up and everything. So the umbrella trellis is a really cool invention. I like that one. Some people don't like it, but I do. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you about support for the plants and you had mentioned trellis net and, and the yo-yos and stuff. My next question is if you're just using a regular trellis net, are you doing just one layer or are you doing multiple layers? I actually have only done trellising maybe three times. And there was one time I did one layer, And then one time I did the two layers. Uh, but like I said, I need to have room for me to get into the grow room. So, or into the grow tent. I can't fit in under a trellis and get under there and have the water because i'm still hand watering too and uh 
even though I do have a blue mat system that I need to hook up and get going. Uh, which I had a question for you on that, but we'll ask that later. Uh, yeah, trellises have never been my deal. I, I've never really liked trellises. I just can't get over the fact that I can't get in there. And then when the plant is done, that you have to be able to get that trellis off the butts. And it's so hard. And back in the day when I was doing more synthetic nutrients, I would have to flush a lot more often than not. Right? Well, I mean, a lot of times having to flush inside of a tent and move that plant out is just, uh, while it's strapped down to a trellis, it's just crazy. Crazy impossible. I I don't like it. And so, yeah, I don't really like trellises too much. Fair enough. Now, there's a lot of people listening in here that are home growers. Maybe they're newer and they want to grow large plants indoors. What advice do you have for those folks that are kind of just getting started growing large plants indoors? Um, the advice that I would give them would be to do a, lar- a longer veg. The longer veg time will give you a bigger plant and flower. And yeah, you just got to be, be patient too. You got to be patient with it because I know you want to get it into the flower tent. You want to, you know, get it flowering and get all the, the good excitement out of it. But it's better to have the, well, I like to put it in child kind of. You want your child nice and healthy, right? Before you go set them into football or something like that, right? So that's the way I put it. Try to get that. The veg is the most important thing to me, I think. If the veg is nice and good and perfect, then you shouldn't. You should just be able to flow right through flower. But we all know that that's not what really happens sometimes. Sometimes a flower, you know, problems arise and you're just going to have to deal with that. But if you have a real long veg, you'll have a real big plant. Speaking of problems, what problems have you run into and how did you resolve them? Oh, man. Oh, man. What are we talking on problems? You mean like pests <laughs> or <laughs> just anything that's going to prevent you from growing large plants or hinders from oh. large plant development? What you're trying to, you know, your end goal there? The problems that I have, one thing in growing big plants is you're going to you're going to lose a lot of room. Uh, these plants take up a lot of room. They take up a lot of water. They take up a lot of nutrients. You're going to start getting a lot of deficiencies because the bigger the plant, the more they're going to want energy. They need more more uh, nutrients to create this energy to keep them healthy, to keep them thick and, um, you know, want to live. So, yeah, they're going to be having more deficiencies is one thing that I've noticed that happens to me a lot. Um, also, the floppage. When you're growing big plants, you're going to have that floppage. So be ready to put a trellis on there or yo-yo hangers or something to hold up those big buds because those buds are going to get really big and they're going to start hanging. Another thing is, yeah, it's just room because you're not going to be able to put, I mean, you could put nine plants in there and try to grow nine big plants, but you're just going to be having too many things grab together, not enough air circulation because there's going to just be too much uh, foliation in there. Uh, yeah, so that's why I keep it to about three plants at a time. Some people might want to do more, more power to you. But, yeah, big plants, you're going to be ready for floppage. There's one <laughs> Floppage is something that happens to be a lot. Some people might want to do less than three plants, right? Some people, some people like to do just one plant right in the middle of their 4 by 4 and veg it for that long period and put it into a trellis, for example. Is there a specific reason why you do three plants instead of, like, one plant just... Oh, no, I've done one plant before. I've done one plant in a seven-gallon pot, and that was a massive plant. 
massive. It took up like it might have been three plants in one. Like, yeah, I've done that before. And people, if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen that plant. That plant was huge. I felt like it beat me up. It was almost like Little Shop of Horrors. It was like, feed me, Seymour. <laughs> so I was a little intimidated by this plant because they get really big, man. And one thing that I've noticed that if anybody is growing outdoors, they know that outdoors they can get huge. Because I did that one time. I wanted to experiment and I was like, well, I grow really big plants indoors. So let's see what happens if I put it outdoor. And so I took one of my strains that I cloned out and that I had been doing indoors and I put it outdoors. And Jesus, Lord, it was huge, brother. Oh, my God. Two plants I had out there and they just took up a lot of space. And I had to deal with floppage, which is one thing that I'm always dealing with. But they came out good. And I just wanted to see how big it would get. And that was in a 30-gallon pot. So, yeah, that was pretty fun. Nice experience right there. And I very, I highly recommend everybody to experiment. Experiment with everything. See how big you can get your plants. See if it's, if it's something that you're into. If you're something that you can handle. If you can't handle it, keep them smaller. Easy. I think that's some really good advice. Matt, is there anything else we need to cover? I'm trying to think here when it relates to growing large plants indoors. We covered lighting, environment. We got uh, soil, nutrition, training. We did almost everything here, right? Anything else we can think of that we should talk about for large plants, growing them indoors? No, not really. I was just going to say patience. Patience is one thing that is a key in growing in general. Um, you're going to have to have patience for this if you want to have the best product or the best you know the best product that you could produce because you're you're putting in all your time in this and you don't want to put all your time in for nothing right you want to have also one thing i wanted to point out is i want to have everybody out there not not to stress too much about it because i i i try to nurture a lot of new growers and i tell them like don't stress about it you're supposed to be having fun let's have fun on this uh don't take it too seriously because as long as you gain that knowledge, you could always do it again. If something goes wrong, your plant dies or whatever, you can always plant another seed and you can give it another shot. And so just keep up with it, man. That's the advice I have for people. Keep with it and don't give up and have fun. Well said. Well, I appreciate you coming on today, man. This has been, uh, this has been cool to hear about how you do it, how you grow large plants indoors. Tell the listeners how they can find you and what you have upcoming in the future. Um, everybody can find me on Instagram, uh, Sly, a.k.a. Loco, but that is Sly underscore, a.k.a. underscore Loco. Um, go check me out over there. That's where I'm most prominent at. Uh, I upload almost every other day. I uh, do content, and I have a show on there called Can of Convos, which is my podcast slash live. And we have a bunch of guests that are from the community. I've had Pigeons for 20. I've had Mr. Grower here. I've had Rob, the whole, from the from the Stash crew. I've had even some famous rappers. I've had ZigZag from Embry Riders. I've had a lot of people on there. And it's going pretty good. I really like it. And I want everybody to come check us out because we've got some more people coming. Booked for a couple months now. And there's going to be some good shows. Also, I have YouTube, too. My YouTube, I'm not too prominent on because we keep getting age-restricted. I show plants and stuff like that. So I got a little turned off by YouTube, but I'm thinking about starting come back and 
post a little couple more videos. It's an uphill battle with YouTube, man. So frustrating at times. I totally understand how uh, how you feel sometimes. I don't see why when we're just all gonna like stop fighting YouTube. This is gonna it's gonna happen. It's gonna be federally legal, and it's just gonna be like it's not worth the fight. I, I feel. Can't wait for that day to happen. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I'll definitely have links to Sly's Instagram and YouTube down in the YouTube description section below so you can easily navigate to his Instagram or YouTube and give him a follow or a subscription and tune into his content. I want to give thanks to all the folks that follow me on Patreon. So if you're a supporter on Patreon, thank you so much. That's something that helps keep this show going. I appreciate contributions there. If those folks that are listening in and aren't aware of the Patreon, patreon.com slash mrgrowit, you go there. There's various tiers that you can enter and you get access to mostly early releases. So you're able to actually listen to these podcast episodes early before they release to the public, which is kind of one of the main perks. Uh, and then, of course, you can get access to my book, audio book, and so on and so forth. So I'll have that link down in the YouTube description section below as well. Sly, once again, thanks for coming on, man. I totally appreciate it. Can't wait to come on your show once again and hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on. I, I really uh, appreciate you giving me your time and having me on. You're welcome. All right, everyone. Peace out. Catch you in the next episode.